0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: All right, we're back to the conversation. Pastor John Jester today in studio with us, Senior Pastor at Watsonville Christian Church. You, of course, hear his musings uh, weekly here on KFAX, affectionately sort of the uh, the Paul Harvey of Christian radio. Uh, you can check out, by the way, more information about the church ministry online at WATCC. That's abbreviation for Watsonville Christian Church, WATCC.com o r g we were talking before the break, pastor jester about um, the importance of the word, mm-hmm. and that if you have the word in you, there's a sense of empowerment, there's a sense of encouragement um, I'll, I'll never forget uh, multiple experiences in life, but one that comes to mind many years ago, and being in a position where I was stuck, uh, I needed god's delivery. And I didn't have a Bible with me. There were no cell phones in those days. So all I had to rely on was Scripture that I had read and had memorized, some intentionally committed to memory and others that just God helped plant in there, and to begin running through my mind all of those Scriptures and the tremendous encouragement that it gave me to get through the set of circumstances um, in that moment. And, you know, the Bible says that thine word have I hid in my heart that I might not Mm -hmm. sin against Mm thee. Talk to us for a moment about the importance of, and particularly in a day and age when everything is about the cell phone and video Mm -hmm. and the notion of reading a book, a newspaper anymore, Mm -hmm. is more and more going by the wayside. Um, I've got a library at home that has thousands of books in it. I bet we could find most people today that don't have a single book at home. How important is it to study and read God's Word?
2: Incredibly important. And like you say, uh, Craig, memorizing words, memorizing the scriptures is so helpful. And I know God will guide us to memorize the ones that are best for us. I've found that so often. And just to have them memorized and be able to go over them at any point in time, middle of the night, wherever we are at any time, have them memorized and just. Claim those promises. What God says, "I'll never leave you or forsake you." Like in Hebrews thirteen five. All the many many scriptures like that. But memorizing the scriptures that God wants us to memorize, and we can look to that at all times. It's basically like having the Bible with us at all times. When we, we memorize scriptures like that, memorizing in context, and it can be so inspiring. Sometimes it's corrective. Sometimes it's inspirational scriptures. But I know when we look to God, just to we can just ask God, "What scriptures would you want me to memorize in my life?" It may not be the same for everybody. Uh, we're all different sometimes i find that memorizing scriptures are preparatory for what's going to happen the next day a week or a month <laughs> Isn't that the truth you know, and, and god knows in advance <laughs> yeah. what we're going to need to go through what we need to memorize and even passages of scripture what what stories what we're going to do now uh, the life of joseph in the book of genesis and we're going word by word verse by verse basically a chapter every week with the looking to live it how is it practical what's the practical parts of this here but there may be people, when I ask at times over the years, I say, well, what's the most helpful thing about this chapter? It varies from person to person. You know, maybe my most important point is not theirs. And, and we just pray for people to hear what God wants them to hear. And it's amazing how God's scriptures will do that.
1: And what's amazing about the word is not only is there much history to be learned and, and uh, context for our relationship with him, But the Bible can be a manual for day-to-day living, a manual for child-rearing, a manual for relationships, a manual for how to conduct yourself in business, a manual for how do you deal with a cranky boss, a manual for how do you improve uh, your own mindset, a manual for if you have times when you're an insomniac and can't sleep, a a manual for the times when you're struggling with uh, sin in your life, whatever it might be that's besieging you. The fascinating thing about the scripture and God's wisdom that though yes God used man to pen those words, they were fully inspired by him, and every bit of it, as Scripture says about itself, is worthy for correction and for reproof mm-hmm. and encouragement. <clears throat> and I think the one thing that that scares some people off, particularly younger believers, they pick up the scripture and say, Boy, I got I got through Genesis okay and Exodus, and by the time I got to Leviticus, I thought, "What is this?" <laughs> uh, there, there perhaps can be a tremendous relief if a person takes with sort of a, a systematic approach to Scripture. I, I was taught many, many years ago um, by a pastor that I sat under that said, I, "If you're going to try to sit down at this and think like you're reading Tolstoy's War and Peace." How many chapters can I just get through before I fall asleep? You're taking the wrong approach. Try a chapter. Take a chapter out of the Old Testament, a chapter out of the New Testament. Maybe add in there um, a psalm every day, uh, or a proverb every day, rather, and then a psalm or two. So a chapter of proverbs and a couple of of um, uh, chapters in psalms. And that gives you a nice cross-sectional balance of Scripture so that by the time you've made your way through the entirety of the Old Testament and you've arrived at the book of Revelation at the end and you're ready to start over again, God has been using all of these nuggets and and putting into context, you know, in the Old Testament Christ concealed and the New Testament Christ revealed and to and understand how all the, the, the pieces of the puzzle, so to speak, of the story of mankind and his relationship with God come together. Do you think taking that kind of approach where it's more bite-sized, you're not like you're on a marathon here to try to see how many chapters you can consume, but rather how much you can reasonably read ponder, meditate, digest, and then come back the next day.
2: Absolutely. I find one of the things very helpful. I, I have people have suggested different ways of reading through the Bible. And I think the very best way I have found is just ask Christ how he wants you to read through the Bible, and it may be very much like you said, exactly that way. That's a very popular way. And also, how much to read? Uh, sometimes you might want to read more chapters, sometimes less. Sometimes, I had a pastor years ago tell me, sometimes you just take a proverb a day and spends the whole day thinking about how to live it and put it into practice.
1: And sometimes what you read might be so deep or so apropos to you and where you're at that that particular uh, paragraph or a few verses, that's all you need Mm -hmm. because that's more than enough to really chew on for the day. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. We're all individuals, and and the wonderful thing is that God, if we ask him to guide us, he's going to guide us. He'll guide us to know what to read and study, how much, how little, exactly how to go about it. But yes, sometimes we may want to read the same scriptures over and over again, whether it's just a verse or a story or something, but it's really hitting home, you know, and and that's one way to really memorize things because it's really applying to what we're going through in our life. It's real. You think, wow, God has just talked me through this word here. I prayed for his guidance, and I'm getting my answer right through this book in front of me right now, and you may want to go over that over and over again, and that's, as you mentioned before, sometimes we end up memorizing things without intentionally memorizing things.
1: How early of an age do you think parents should begin to teach their children to engage in their own personal Bible study. I know a lot of families mm-hmm. will, will do sort of a family Bible study mm-hmm. together, and dad will read two or three passages, or the kids will take turns reading. But in, in, in terms of instilling upon children the importance of their own time in the Word, how early should that begin?
2: I That's a great question. It um, goes back to a little young lady we had in our church many, many years ago. She was only six years old, and she was taught by her parents how to pray. And I thought that, that was a great way to do it, like we all do. Lord, what do you want me to read? Here's my, here's the Bible I have. Lord, what would you want me to read? And it helps develop a personal relationship. And I think really they realize God's so real when he's guiding them to scriptures that are really applied to what they're going through in their life, even as a child. So I think just asking him, you know, guiding him to pray first and say, Lord, what do you want me to pray? And, and listening to God to realize God can guide you at any age. You have to have a willing heart. It'll show you what to read and study. And some. Kids are better at reading than others, but just having them ask ask the Lord, what do you want me to read and study?
1: Is it appropriate, and and now I'm going to get into potential controversy here, is it appropriate to look at um, Bible translations that might be a little bit friendlier, so to speak, uh, for um, one's either level of spiritual maturity in Christ or just uh, age-appropriate? And and I pose that question because – When I first came to Christ, and this would be in the 1970s, so at the time the Jesus movement was very much uh, in vogue, and there had been a couple of big national outreach campaigns. One was the I Found It campaign. Everybody had bumper stickers uh, and whatnot. And then there were campaigns that engaged in mass distribution of Scripture. And I'll never forget, just prior to coming to Christ, coming home one day and finding a Bible placed on the front door, Good News for Modern Man. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't really have any interest in Bible reading. I was raised Roman Catholic. We had a copy of the DeWay version of the Bible. We had the big heavy one that was sort of the coffee table (laughs) Bible, and and those were to look at. That wasn't for reading. That was for looking at. (laughs) Sitting there, that's it. Uh, And a great place to press flowers, as I recall. Uh, When I came to Christ, I remembered a copy of The Good News for Modern Man that I had uh, squirreled away in a drawer, and I pulled that Bible out, and I absolutely devoured it. And uh, for me at the time – now, since then, I've, I've become a King James Version guy, as I like to joke. It's the Bible that, that, uh, that Moses wrote and Paul preached out of, <laughs> or Jesus preached out of. But uh, f- for me at the time. It was an appropriate translation because I could really wrap my mind around it. And I went through that Bible page after page after page, and sometimes I, was, I couldn't put it down. Later on, again, I, I, I think I spiritually graduated, so to speak, to, to, uh, uh, to more serious versions, and, I, and I'm, I'm a proponent of, of the King James Version today. Um, but do you think there are times when, when finding an easier version to read is appropriate, particularly for either young children or, or young believers?
2: I think so, as long as it's biblically accurate. Yeah. And I think just put it in the and there. And there's some there. things
1: I'll say that good news for the modern for modern man is not on the top of my reading list today. Uh-huh. I wouldn't yeah. recommend it uh-huh. uh, for complete accuracy. Uh, so you do have to be cautious about that, absolutely. And the uh, book, uh, How
2: to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, uh, they address translations, and they have a beautiful chart in there about which ones are closest to the original manuscripts. And they have two that are word by word, and a couple other two they recommend that are thought by thought. And they have others a little farther off, you know, farther off the mainstream. But it's very, very helpful to see that. And the ones they had, I think um, the NIV and uh, today's English version were the thought by thought, and the English Standard Version uh, was the word by word and the New American Standard Bible. Um, And then they showed others a little bit off, like the paraphrases, the message.
1: Yeah, you get in some of the paraphrases, Mm -hmm. uh, and and there was one translation that got into trouble. I forget which one it was a number of years ago that translated um, Mary from being a virgin to being a young woman. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. both are technically correct, but discounting her virginity becomes very problematic from a foundational Um, perspective of our faith, uh, that Christ's virgin birth is as key and foundational to Christian belief as is his death, burial, and resurrection on the third day. And so sometimes you have to be careful about things like that. If you're, if you're trying to find the Reader's Digest version of the yeah. Bible, let me recommend against that.
2: Right, exactly. Yeah. I remember maybe many years ago I started reading the Living Bible, and I really loved it. And all of a sudden the light came out and I realized it really wasn't a Bible. It was a paraphrase. paraphrase. And I had to really be careful about that. Because it was so easy to read is why I was reading it. And I thought, wow, this is really coming alive. I had to realize just like movies about bible characters some things are in there that maybe aren't yeah, in the bible and, and
1: and the paraphrase is is somebody's interpretation of what they think it mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. as opposed to the verse by verse and i and i i think that you know at the end of the day the the historical accuracy of what has been handed down to us. Yes, there can be difficulties with King James, for example, if you're not comfortable with the higher English. Um, then I find after a while, once you begin to sort of understand the these and thousand those, you get more comfortable with it. And, and now for me today, to read anything else just seems out of step. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's the only acceptable version. I'm just saying that's my personal preference. Right. Pastor John Chester, thank you so much for coming in and sharing, and uh, a word about the church, if you would. Just give us a little bit about uh, service times, where you meet, and uh, a bit about the life and ministry of Watsonville.
2: Okay. We open the doors at 9 o'clock every Sunday. Um, We come in and we help set up the hall. We have uh, tea, coffee, fellowship. If they're there by 9.30, they can join us in a prayer meeting, pre-worship service prayer meeting. If they have a prayer request or they want to give a praise report about an answer to prayer or they just want to sit in and listen, they can do that. Great opportunity to come in and fellowship and meet people. At uh, 10 o'clock, we start the worship service. We have beautiful music. We have a thing called thanks and prayer time. Everybody has up to two minutes. Pass the microphone up and down the rows. If they have a special prayer request or an, a great answer to prayer or want to give thanks, they can do that. Uh, then we have... The sermon time, which is typically 30 by 40 minutes, expository style, word by word, verse by verse. How to live it, how to put it in practice in your life. Uh, After services, we always stay. We don't walk off and go home. We stay in fellowship and have snacks. Um, We have the hall till 5 o'clock, so we stay for some amount of period of time afterwards. Um, We always have our spiritual growth bulletin every week. It tells for about a year in advance what books of the Bible we are going to go through. So during the week, if they want to study ahead, they can do that. They can go as far in advance if they want to do that. And uh, it's just a wonderful opportunity. Everybody knows everybody. We encourage everybody to, you know, ideally come early, stay late, and participate. sort of it. a motto. And, yeah. and it's a small group church, um, but it's a, one of a wonderful fellowship, very devout believers. And we will welcome you if you come. And
1: a good place for that uh, that iron-sharpening iron experience. You know, Sometimes Absolutely. in these big churches, nobody gets to know anybody, and there's really not that, that experiential, relational kind of Christianity that I think at the end of the day, as much as it's great to get up and say, we've got 75,000 members and counting, uh, but historically that doesn't really reflect what the first century church looked like. Um, and there's something to be said for that smaller group worship or or um, more intimate style church where you get a chance to know each other. And again, that iron sharpening iron experience is just, uh, just incredible. Uh, our thanks to Pastor John Jester for being with us again, Senior Pastor of Watsonville Christian Church. And you can get more information about the ministry by going online to WATCC.org. That's w a t c c. Let me mention, by the way, we've got some tickets to give away here. Um, What's going on? It's the Global Leadership Summit Conference that's going to be taking place Thursday, August the 8th through Friday the 9th, hosted locally here at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. We were talking about this earlier, Pastor John. Everybody has influence. You have influence at home, school, certainly where you work. You have influence in all those places. Well, here's an opportunity for you to join over 500, I'm sorry, 400... 1,000 attendees, oh, worldwide. No, I thought, that church is not that big. Speaking (laughs) about big churches, (laughs) 400,000 attendees worldwide for the Global Leadership Summit Conference 2019, more than an event, the summit is a catalyst for change that inspires and equips world-class leadership to ignite organizational and community transformation. Caller number 11 right now will receive two pairs of tickets to the Global Leadership Summit Conference Thursday, August 8th, Friday, November, uh, August the 9th, at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship in Mountain View. More information available on the web at globalleadership.org. That's globalleadership.org. All right, you want to learn how to be a more effective leader? Caller number 11. You get two tickets, 888 That's the number to call. 888-367-5329. Caller number 11. Pair of tickets are yours. Enjoy this special event at Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Thursday, Friday, August 8th and 9th. Caller number 11. 888 R K F right. While you're dialing up, let's dial up our friends in the KFAX Traffic Center, get you the latest look at this Thursday ride home.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I've
1: shared with you before my experiences in India. I always found it fascinating to go into a Hindu temple for the very first time. And there's much pomp and circumstance and you're required to take your shoes off and so on and so forth. And if you've never been in one... It's fascinating because a Hindu temple, at least the ones that we visited, was not a single altar to one god, but in fact it is a an almost large courtyard-like affair with multiple altars to multiple gods. Within the, the deist system of Hinduism, there's 33 million different gods. And it's amazing as you watch the priests that will do songs and incantations and writhe about on the floor and cover themselves in paint and in ashes and and go through all these machinations in an effort to try and reach out to God, or a God, to try to get that God's attention, to try to get that God's appeasement. And it really is heartbreaking from a Christian perspective to walk through there and see all of this, and you you can sense about you demonic presence all around, and the depravity of man, and it's heartbreaking because all of this effort that goes forward and try to reach up to God and somehow connect with Him and appease Him, and yet we know from the story of the Bible that in reality, God came down. In fact, God came down in such a fashion that he came down to get his hands dirty. We're joined now by Johnny Moore, who coincidentally is a pastor, advisor, professor of religion, and vice president of prestigious Liberty University, and author of a new book, whose title initially was slightly off-putting to me. And then when I got into the book, I realized, wow, this really spells it out. His new book is called Dirty God Jesus in the Trenches, newly published by our friends at Thomas Nelson. And uh, Johnny, great to have you on the program tonight.
3: Thanks. I'm really glad to be with you.
1: Your book is an interesting one because it paints a picture. You know, people sometimes talk about cheap grace and so forth. It, it, it paints a picture of the idea that in every respect, really and truly, God, God came down, and as he did so, he, he he rolled up his sleeves and got his hands dirty, didn't he?
3: Yeah, he did, and in and, and so doing, Jesus busted through this concophony of praise from every religion in the world, every idea of God in all of human history that has been solely about man doing everything he can to get God's attention. And this Jesus, this dirty God, as i, as I called him in the book, decided that he was going to come down to planet Earth, and he was going to come after us, despite the fact that we had made this mess. He invited himself into the mess that we made. He got dirty, and he gave us the opportunity to become clean again. So that's why I, I called the book "Dirty God." I wanted to reflect on the on the real beauty and transcendence of the grace of Jesus Christ.
1: In our fallen nature, all of this is counterintuitive, isn't it?
3: You know, it is. It, it's you know not natural that that you know it, we we are t- to other people the way God is to us in Jesus Christ. I mean, uh, we we hold people accountable and we hold grudges. And in, in the face of justice, God is just, but what he is is he's also a god a God of grace. And so he wrote a story that has been the plot of every novel of any success and every movie that we watch, you know, everything through all of history is the same plot, this plot of redemption over and over. It's grace, and grace is gotten and grace is given, and Jesus is the picture of that. And I think it's time we resurrect the image of this of this idea of Jesus, the God who got dirty so the world could get clean.
1: You know, we oftentimes will hear the picture of, of grace as one that sort of paints God as being weak, that God is sort of Capitulating to mankind. Well, if you can't live and abide by my laws and within the rules and regulations that I set forth, you know, even from the beginning, it wasn't a very long list. There weren't ten commandments. There was just one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we couldn't even manage one, let alone the ten that we were given through Moses. And so now the idea that God would say, okay, I'm going to come up with yet another plan, and it it ultimately kind of in the perspective of some suggesting that, that it made God seem weak, but yet in your new book, Dirty God, you, you wonderfully paint the picture that, in fact, uh, the notion, as we said before, of God getting his hands dirty by coming down and taking on the form of mankind is anything but a sign of weakness.
3: Yeah, you know, the the, the easy thing to do would have been just to give us what we deserve. I mean, we were the ones that turned our, our back on God, but what did he do? I mean, this is this is the God who made everything. I mean, The Bible tells us that Jesus is the heir of all things. He spoke the whole world into existence. I mean, we cannot begin to fathom the wealth and the influence and the power of God. I mean, we can't even get that in our head. And yet here's God, Jesus, being born in a manger, living his first night in a feeding trough. The the press release is sent to shepherds. I mean, he doesn't even have a place to put his head. He grows up in a village of 400 people called, called Nazareth, and eventually, when he starts finally preaching this gospel that he's brought to the earth, what do they do They run him out of his own village, his own friends and family. They run him out of his own village and try to throw him off of a cliff. I mean, this grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ, I mean, it, it took God's strength. Not, it's not a, a demonstration of weakness. It's a demonstration of a God that could suppress what we deserve in order to give us a second chance. And that's what he's been doing all through history. You know, my my book, Dirty God, is really a book about the kindness of God, the kindness of God given to uh, to us as recipients of grace, and the kindness of God that we have the opportunity to give to others as distributors of it.
1: And And it is at at so many levels so uncomprehensible, because I, I think we all have an idea about... Things that uh, that presidents or, or, or kings do or don't do. I mean, for example, the, the president does not drive himself anywhere. He has a security detail and a chauffeur. The president doesn't go into the kitchen and uh, start pulling things out of the refrigerator and cook his own meals. He has a chef that does all of that. Uh, there are so many things that kings don't do. And yet all of a sudden we find this image of the king of kings, coming down and doing things that we would never expect him to do.
3: Yeah, and the people he hung out with. I mean, mm. I think this is one of the most fascinating stories about, about Jesus, is that he chose these disciples. I mean, he he chose these people. And you look at their stories. And you know, you, you, Peter, who's, who's, you know, who speaks before he thinks, and he's rough around the edges. You've got doubting Thomas, who's, who's you know clearly like a pessimist. You've got James and John, and, and you've got you know, the sons of thunder. They called them. You've got all of these different personality types. These people always making mistakes. Jesus gets tired of them eventually and says, "Why are you being so dull? Why don't you just catch up, you know, with me?" And and I think that's part of the the beauty of the story. I mean, Jesus came and he could have come as as a king. I mean, he could have he could have done it that way. He he could have gone to Jerusalem or Rome, but instead he goes to Bethlehem and Nazareth and Capernaum, and he doesn't pick the best and brightest. He picks people that are a lot like us, Mm. and and I think that's the amazing thing about all of this. I mean, he comes, Jesus arrives in a culture where Greco-Roman gods were known for their perfection in their temples. I mean, even their physical physiques were perfect, and Jesus arrives as a God that looks a little more like men, like everyday people, on the chance that everyday people, like the people listening right now, will feel that God cares about them, and he does that's the image of
1: Jesus the dirty dog. and what a what a poignant way in which to to get that point across I mean you, you, as you were talking about the picture of the disciples and this this, this ragtag group most of whom most most decent fathers uh, that care about their daughters would would, would hardly allow your daughter to <laughs> date any of these guys <laughs> let alone look at this group and say as very God himself, I have selected you to take my message of reconciliation and restitution and forgiveness to an entire world. It just defies logic at every level, and I guess it's because at the end, it it, it most necess- necessarily takes every aspect of man out of this equation. I mean, the whole key of grace is this, the unmerited favor that God has shown toward us, that no man should be able to boast in any of this process. And it really, it really I guess at the end of the day, defies our understanding, doesn't it?
3: It, it sure does, and what it shows us is that God saw in these disciples, you know, Jesus saw in these followers of his, what they didn't see in themselves. He didn't see them where they were. He, he saw where they could be, and he he both preserved their personalities, but he also redeemed their personalities, and you see how he used the characteristics of these, these people in the, in the story of Christianity, you know, when you read it through the Bible. Now, one of the things I really believe the Church needs to do is resurrect the, the human side of Jesus. You know, we, the, the Church believes and has believed for, for centuries that Jesus was fully God, he was fully divine, and he was fully human. And it's through the human side of Jesus interacting with these people that we understand how grace plays itself out in everyday life. And what we discover very quickly is that the least likely people, are the people that God uses in the most profound way in his story of bringing redemption to the earth. I mean, probably, the person listening, even to our conversation now, that feels like they're the person least likely to be used by God to do something, is maybe the most likely person, because, because our God is a God who takes joy in giving grace to people and using them in ways they can't believe. So the doubting apostles, you know Peter, who denies Jesus three times, ends up becoming the apostle that Jesus allows to preach the Pentecost sermon when thousands of people put their faith in him.
1: So not, Peter, not only using not, where we are. not not only using the the least likely individuals, but but just as importantly, and and I'll have you go into detail on this, Johnny, after the break to to help illustrate. God's willingness to to literally come down and get his hands dirty, and that is to reach out and touch into the lives of those that even other men would not do. There's a wonderful, I, I mentioned earlier about India, there's a wonderful illustration that you share at the, the start of the book, Dirty God, Jesus in the Trenches, out of India, which parallels the story we see in Mark chapter 1, and we'll get to that aspect of our conversation. With us today, Pastor, Advisor, Professor of Religion, Vice President of Liberty University. He is Johnny Moore. We're talking about Dirty God, Jesus in the Trenches, newly published by Thomas Nelson, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through, of course, uh, uh, Amazon.com. You can also get more information on Johnny's website at Johnny, J-O-N-N-I-E, Johnny Moore, with an E at the end there as well, Dot. Back to more of our conversation in a moment.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: And back to our conversation, Johnny Moore is with us tonight. He is author of Dirty God, Jesus in the Trenches, also serves as vice president of Liberty University. You start the book out, and I and I think it sets up a wonderful illustration um, of the whole scene going on in Mark 1 and 41. And, and I think it wonderfully helps us better understand, and, and maybe you can kind of bring this into the modern day, if you would, Johnny, just how significant it was as Jesus interacted with the leper.
3: You know, we, we don't really understand this in our, our modern time, because we, and particularly in the United States, I mean, we don't have these kinds of fear-inducing uh, uh, diseases and to the degree that it was in the, in the first century. But um, in the first century, I mean, when, when someone had leprosy, when they arrived inside of a town, if they even came into a town, they had to carry a bell with them, and they had to ring the bell. They had to announce themselves as a leper. I mean, if you saw a leper at the end of the road, you would go grabbing your kids and run to the other direction. And so can you imagine when Jesus, in this, like, show-stopping moment, decides that the lepers are the people he cares about. The lepers are the people that he wants to go extend his grace and his mercy. So, I mean, Jesus goes and hangs out with lepers. In fact, there's this wonderful story that everybody's all, all heard about where the uh, where Mary is washing Jesus's feet with her hair. But what people don't realize very often is that story took place in the home of a guy named Simon the leper. And I think this is a wonderful demonstration of the of the attitude that Jesus had when he came down to planet Earth. I mean, he was after those that society had rejected. He was after those that were on the on the fringes of society. And it wasn't to the exclusion of others. I mean, he he came for everyone. But the show-stopping moments in the Gospel, if you read them within their cultural context, is when Jesus goes to the people that no one wanted to talk to and no one cared about. Jesus knew what it was like to be rejected. He was rejected because of this message. But he reached to the rejected ones with grace and mercy and the Gospel. And can you imagine that hopeless leper when finally they were healed for the power of God. I mean, this was an amazing, amazing moment. It's no wonder Jesus became quickly famous. I mean, he was the God that went and spent time with those that no one cared to spend time
1: with. It's interesting. We we see many images in world religions of men who would be as gods. I don't know what that. This is the singular case of a God that would be as a man.
3: I guess it is. I mean, th- this this Jesus story is unique in all, all of religious history. I mean, I, I talk a lot in the book about uh, my my work around the world. I, I, I've degreed in religion, I teach religion, I, I travel quite a bit, and I, I've been to the largest mosque in South Asia, and I've sat in the Dalai Lama's temple in this village he lives in in northwest India. I've, I've been to the holiest Hindu and Buddhist places and, and in South, Southeast Asia. I've studied all of these religions, and the one story of everyone that's following a different path, is they're trying to get God to pay attention to them. They're ringing their bells as they go into the Hindu temples, the Sikhs have their five Ks, and the Muslims have their five pillars, and the Buddhists are meditating, and everyone is trying so hard to get God to pay attention to them. But when God named Jesus came down the planet Earth, he announced one of his names as Emmanuel. It was God with us where every other religious idea in history seems to be a long road that leads to a door of good works and trying harder to get God to pay attention to them, the story of Jesus is a door that leads to a long road. The way to Jesus is an easy path, because Jesus isn't the God that dropped the ladder from heaven for us to climb up. Jesus is the God that dropped the ladder from heaven for him to climb down to grab
1: us and take us back with him. And as you point out, in so many cases of world religions, it's about either not calling attention to yourself, certainly uh, big within Hinduism, I mean, in in some cases, in some Hindu sects, uh, to even compliment um, how beautiful the child might be is looked on with, with, with great fear and embarrassment, at least that you draw the ire of a jealous God. And so the notion of trying to appease or avoid God uh, and his wrath in so many ways is is inherent to all, virtually every major world religion. And yet here is one where it's not a matter of what we need to do for God, but rather what God has done for us, that as Scripture reminds us, while we were yet sinners, Christ came to die for us, that through that substitutionary work on the cross, we might be able to find forgiveness and reconciliation and then restoration of a relationship with the very Creator of the universe. It's a fascinating read, and I think one that brings great perspective on this topic. Even though perhaps the title you might go, wait a minute, uh, it is true in many hands. Uh, It's amazing to see that God came down to get his hands dirty. The book called Dirty God, Jesus in the Trenches, again, newly published by Thomas Nelson, available through Amazon.com, bookstores around the Bay Area, and of course, through Johnny's website at johnnymoore.org. That's J o n n i e m-o-o-r-e dot o-r-g. Johnny, it's been a delight and an education to have you with us today. We'll hope to visit with you again soon. Thanks. My, my pleasure. God bless you. God bless you, brother. There's Johnny Morgan, Vice President of Liberty University, Dirty God, Jesus in the Trenches.